what the universe is. Space and outer space, a coagulation that becomes a nebula. And out of the nebula, millions of galaxies. And out of this constellation of galaxies comes forth our home galaxy, the Milky Way. A group of some 400 billion stars orbiting a galactic center. And of those 400 billion stars, the one orbiting star that is closest to us is the Sun. planets orbit around it. And among those planets is our little planet, which like the Sun and all the galaxies, also came out of that nebula. Okay, Neil, we can see you coming down the ladder now. That's one small step for man. And our particular planet was not too far from this sun, and not too close, not too hot, or too cold. So, uh, I'm clearly not a Buddha, and uh, so let me tell you, how many people here are scientists. I'm going to do a raise of a hand. How many people consider themselves scientists? Maybe somebody who a uh, bachelor's degree in science, master's degree, PhD, doctor. Any doctors out there? Hard scientists, physicists. Do we have any physicists out there? Uh oh, now I'm in trouble. Okay, astrophysicists, astrobiologists, cosmology. All right. Now my job today is to kick off a series here at the well on when science and God collide talk a little bit about how scientific theories and religion, when they interact, and there's a lot of different theories out there, this actually makes me very, very at home. Because my background is actually, I'm a scientist by training. So a little bit of history from my background. I started out as a junior high school and high school teacher. Seventh and eighth grade math, science, high school. I used to teach freshman biology. It's where those kids came into class was one of those mandatory classes that the kids absolutely positively hated. But they had to be there because everybody had to take it. So show of hands, how many people here do not like biology? All right, fantastic. Now I know what I'm up against. Because my job today is to try to get everybody at the end of the day to be a scientist. Okay, you're going to see how well I can do that. So after a couple of years of teaching, I got, I got a science book. And I went back to school. I went back to get my master's degree in biology. I, you know, the more I learned, the more I realized that I didn't know. And I got sucked into a PhD. So for the next six years, I spent, I spent doing PhD work on a topic that probably here no one ever even cares about. Okay? I could rattle off my thesis defense. Okay? The identification of protein disulfide isomerase activity in fibronectin. Now, most of the people here, kind of their eyes start to roll back in their heads. That's usually what I get when I start talking about what I do for work. But that's a love of science that I have. And so what my job is today, and the speakers over the next four weeks, is to not only 
It is to get you guys thinking about when science and religion collide, but also to get you thinking creatively, to turn you into scientists. So by the end of my talk today, my goal is to have you guys thinking like scientists. Now in the next couple weeks, then you're going to hear about another topic that Abuna mentioned today in the sermon, stewardship. Okay, we are all here on, on this earth, and we are called to be stewards. Then we're going to hear about man, the creation of man. And then there's going to be a tie-up at the end. So for the next four weeks, we're really going to push the envelope. So these are some of the questions we're going to be talking about. Now, the question I got to tackle with, you just heard my background, I'm more of a biologist. Okay, especially uh, cell biologist and molecular biologist. My research was primarily on cancer. Now, my career now takes me to the world of uh, emerging infectious diseases. So I'd be much more comfortable up here talking about Zika, okay, or dengue, or something else like that. But the whole thing about science, again, the love for science is that it's not just something, you know, for me, I'm passionate about cancer biology. I'm passionate about emerging infectious diseases. But what I'm here to talk to you about today is being passionate about learning, passionate about asking questions, like the questions we have up there. Okay. One of the questions we're going to talk about today is, is there intelligent life out there? So that's a tough question. And there's a lot of different theories that are being floated around. Anytime you look at the news, you hear all these different competing theories. So who do you believe? And as Christians, we've heard for years and years and years and years is that science and religion are incompatible. Okay. I love this little image up here of the microscope and the cross with the boxing gloves. Because I can't tell you how many times I've been asked in my career by my students, by my peers, how can you be a Christian and be a scientist? Aren't those incompatible? You know, articles in time. Okay? So the, the question I ask today, and I know there's other people out here who feel as strongly about this as I do, is no, they're not incompatible. You can be a scientist and a Christian. And I would argue that the more and more I learn, the more I realize what we don't know. And that actually draws me closer to God. Now, typically, there are several different camps in terms of looking at religion versus science. Now, I put up here, actually, these are a bit controversial. I wanted to use this to kind of kick off the, the idea that we're talking about today. So on the cartoon on the left-hand side, it pits scientists against creationists. Now, these are literal creationists that the earth was created in six days, six literal days. And I know that there are some the hardcore people who believe the literal six-day creation argument. Now today I'm going to talk about that, and, and actually, that I'm not in that camp. And the Orthodox Church, it's hard because none of us were here. So it's hard. We're going to look at the evidence for a literal, literal six-day creation event versus the Big Bang Theory. And on the other side, you've got Einstein compared to Jesus. Okay, again, most people think that science and religion are at total odds. You've got three different camps. The two are at odds. You've got another group that says that they are separate and distinct, and the two should never meet. And then you've got a third group where you have science and religion support one another. Okay, so a Venn diagram. I didn't have enough slides, but I put a Venn diagram in there. You know, for this is the nerdy side of me coming out. Okay, you've got science, religion, and actually there's quite a bit of overlap. And like I said before, the more and more and more I learn about science, particularly I deal mostly with the microscopic world, the more I see God in creation. If we got into a talk about biochemistry, okay, and started talking about the Krebs cycle, again, something that still makes me cringe from when I took 
you know, biochemistry, or we started talking about organic chemistry and the role of the carbon atoms. I mean, there's a lot of evidence out there that needs to be weighed when you look at the role of religion and science and how the two mesh together. But today, I'm not really going to be talking about that. Today, I'm going to be talking more and more about some of the stuff that's actually was fairly new to me. Something that intrigued me, but something that, as I was preparing for this talk, got me really thinking about, particularly it's about cosmology, the origin of the universe. Okay, and that brings in area I had mentioned, astrophysics. Okay, and, and physics and the laws of physics. And the laws of relativity. And how do all those kind of mesh in? Because those all precede the biology that I love. And so it behooves me to start to understand those things. And to really start to engage my scientific curiosity. And that's what it is. Is my life has been driven by a curiosity to understand more about God's creation. Now, before I, I started teaching um, science at, at higher levels, I was in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, and I was actually teaching math at the time. And the principal of the school said to me, Hey, Kurt, how are you going to talk about God in math class? And I had to sit there, and I was stumped. How am I going to talk about God in math class? How can you bring God into math? And what she, what she came back with was, because I was, I was truly stumped. Biology was easy. I gave her the pat answer when she asked about how I was going to do biology. But in math class, God is a God of order. And she said, in math, it really is the study of order. And you go through and you look at how the equations line up. That's how you bring God into it, because God is a God of order. Okay? And as you'll see, hopefully through my talk today, you're going to see evidence okay, of the order that God brings to his creation. Things that we are just starting to understand point people towards God. But don't take my word for it. Okay, I want you all to be scientists before you leave today. So, what is science? Okay, I think you can kind of guess from where I'm going. Is Science is just not, not just a body of knowledge. And this is the first uh, fill in the blank on your handout. Okay, but it's knowledge assembled through the scientific methodology. So this is where you look at the creation, you look at a question, and I'm, on, I'm going to even go as far to say as you look at an election that's coming up, okay, and you ask the hard questions, and you say to yourself, who and what should I believe? And that's where I'm going to push it back out to you, because I'm, I'm going to get up here and I'm going to talk about a lot of different things today. You may or may not agree with me. Okay, you may or may not agree with the research that I've done and that I'm presenting today. I am going to challenge you to dig into what you're hearing. Dig into what you're hearing today about cosmology, about the origins of the earth, about extraterrestrial life. But also expand that into your day-to-day -day lives. You know, we got a, we got a tough election coming up. Okay, don't believe what you're hearing. Do the research yourselves. Make your own decisions. In that way, everybody in this room is a scientist. I don't care if you like biology or not, but I'm going to implore you to use the scientific logic, scientific reasoning. And, again, another flashback to freshman biology, okay, the scientific method. Now, my kids hate it when I talk about this, okay, because they're like, Dad, why are you putting such rigor on this? The students, again, people start to shake uncontrollably when they start thinking about this. But again, this is a thought process. I learned a ton of things in graduate school over those six years. Okay, more about what things didn't work than what things did work. But more than anything, I learned how to think. Okay, it's how to be a critical thinker. Not critical in that everything is wrong, 
But critical in there is that you need to weigh the evidence, that you would need to apply the scientific method not only in the laboratory, with the chemicals, okay, with the organisms, with the data that's coming in, but across the board. So let's talk for a few moments real briefly about the scientific method and how it applies to you in your daily lives. Because this is going to be you know, kind of the, the foundation that I'm going to build on through the rest of the talk today. And that the other speakers are going to be building on through as they go through this series. So the first thing you come up with is a problem. Okay? You've got a question out there. You need to look at that question. You do your own research. Okay, maybe you Google it. Maybe you look at Wikipedia. You know, maybe you talk to some people. You're gathering information. Okay, those are the first two steps of the scientific method. Then you develop a hypothesis. Okay? Everybody does it. Maybe you don't think about it formally like you would in a scientific laboratory, but you're developing a hypothesis. This is what I'm thinking. You know, some of, some of you might be thinking, you know, I don't know where he's going today. Okay, that's your hypothesis. You've seen a little bit of research. Okay, you have a question in your mind. Now what we're going to do is we're going to test that hypothesis. Okay? Now the big thing is, is you're going to do tests. Okay, you're going to bring in information. You're going to have to analyze that information. Now what you'll see is, on the circle on the right-hand side, it's a graphical way of showing that this is an iterative process. Okay, the scientific method is not one and done. Okay, and I think that's why a lot of the students that come to me, they expect to come in the lab and do what, what we would call search. Okay, it's not called, you don't come in the lab and do search, it's called research. Okay, it's because you do it one time, and then you got to do it again. Okay, then you get data, and you got to do it again. Okay, and then constantly you need to test your hypothesis. Take what information is coming in and apply that to your hypothesis. Does it make sense? Then maybe, yes, you prove your hypothesis. If it doesn't make sense, then you've got to change that hypothesis or modify that hypothesis. And then eventually, when you have enough data, you can come to your conclusions. Okay, then you report that out. Again, for, you know, for as a father, okay, this is something that, that I'm required to do all the time. My kids come to me with a problem, okay? And particularly, I've got two boys. I'm sure you've seen Luke and James, okay? The problem that they come to me with is they're fighting. Well, he did this and he did this, okay? So here's a practical example. You know, this is where my logical mind kicks in. Who's right? So I have a hypothesis. I come in with a preconceived notion, right? I probably have a bias associated with that. Who I think, even before they come to me, I think I know who, who's in the wrong. Okay? And it would be easy for me to act and jump to my conclusion and come up with my report, which is discipline, okay, based on incomplete data. So what I have to do is, and I don't always do this well, is step back. Listen to the data that's coming in. Re-listen to the data sometimes three and four times, you know, separate them and listen to the data. Then eventually come to a conclusion and then report out my results. Okay, practical example of, again, where you can use the scientific method in daily lives. So, now, again, I said, isn't this only for scientists? You know, why am I talking to people at the well about this? I want to make this practical. Okay, this is not necessarily all about cosmology today, all about the Big Bang, okay, all about creation. It's about tools for life, okay? That's what the church teaches us. The church gives us tools for life, and that's hopefully what I'm sharing with you today. So anybody nodding off yet? That's usually, again, when I talk about biology, eyes roll up, okay, people start to nod off, and so far, so good. All right, now here we go. Now, again, science is a tool. 
And in science is, in terms of a tool, it's one of these things that takes, takes practice. Okay, I'm a scientist. I've been a scientist for over 25 years, okay, in the lab. It's something that I learn something every single day. And I love uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Okay, this is a tool and a technique that is going to be something that I encourage you. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. Okay, you start building the rigor of your thinking and start testing and asking questions about what information you're getting. Okay, use the scientific method. I implore you. Okay, it's going to make you a better parent, grandparent, student, okay, whatever you are. I believe in my heart of hearts that applying the scientific method is a much broader approach to taking in the information we're getting. And as I said before, the more I learned, I, when I went to grad school, I was very, very arrogant. I thought, I know everything there is to know because I've got a bachelor's degree in biology. You know, I, I, I had no clue about how much we don't know. Okay, especially, you know, again, every day I learned something new about biology. But as I started getting in and prepping for this particular talk today, there's so much out there that we just don't know. You know, we've been around for a long time. We've got some great tools. But there's so much room for improvement. There's so much room out there. And, you know, again, in, in society, and when we start off with those, with those uh, cartoons, okay, a lot of times you have two different camps, two very different polar camps. You know, one group saying that there's no room for religion. Another group saying that, you know, it's all about religion. Okay? And you, but you've got to weigh the evidence for yourself. Weigh the evidence for yourself. So, again, um, in a quote from Sir Isaac Newton, much more eloquent than I, okay, in science we resemble children correcting a few pebbles at the beach of knowledge when the whole ocean is unknown, unfolds itself in front of us. So, going to get into a little bit of a controversial topic, okay, and this is, you know, every time I seem to get up here to do these well talks, you know, I always get the fun ones. Because the last time, I don't know if you remember when I was up here, just talking about the role of women in marriage. You know, that was another another real real tough one. Now this one is, you know, the question I have to ask is, you know, a lot of people, you got the camp, you got the creationists are saying, you know, it's a literal six days because that's what the Bible says. Okay? Now that's one interpretation of the Bible, and you have to be very, very careful. Because what that's done is that's put people into what many would consider a very, very limited mindset. There's no room for taking in data. And I'll show you in a slide in just a second. That's really what gets people into trouble. Now, please, don't mistake what I'm saying. Don't mistake what I'm saying. Is that the is the Bible a scientific book? Okay? No, the Bible is not a scientific book. Okay? Now, the Bible does make a number of scientific statements and scientific references. And in fact, a lot of the references in the Bible, scientifically, if you look at what was going around in the culture at the time, are much, much more advanced than what you would see at thinking of the time. Think about the, the Greeks and mythology. You know, they thought Atlas called up the world. Okay, where Job said, no, no, it's not. And they recognized, you know, a lot of time, but also at the same time, they were limited to time. Okay, they, they talked about the four corners of the earth because that's what they understood. So, is the Bible a scientific book? No, it's not. If you think about a scientific paper, I'm going to look at Bracey, because I know, I know Bracey and I, 
All right, you know, we've, we've written and we've critiqued and read scientific papers, a number of other researchers out here. When you get into a scientific paper, if I wrote a paper for a publication in a journal, okay, what I would do is I would state my hypotheses and then I would go into excruciating detail to describe my finding and why everybody should believe that finding. Okay, I mean, excruciating detail, where I would use all kinds of crazy scientific jargon. Okay, like those words I threw at the beginning. You know, fibronectin, protein disulfide isomerase activity. You know, all kinds of K-cats, you know, uh, catalysts and all kinds of enzymatic functions to be able to provide evidence to support my argument. Now, when you read the Bible, okay, specifically in the book of creation, that's where, you know, I'm sorry, the book of creation, I'm making up Bible books, uh, book of Genesis about creation. Okay, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Do we get a ton of detail on how he did that? No, we don't, Okay. Is it accurate that God created heaven and earth? Absolutely. We believe that. That is the truth. But when a Buddha was talking in his sermon today, okay, what are the two things from the Bible? What is the Bible for, uh, there for? Does anybody remember from the sermon? Actually, audience participation. Salvation and stewardship. Okay? Stewardship is actually going to be next week's talk, so I'm not going to get into that one. Okay? And salvation, again, is not something that I'm going to talk about today. But the Bible is primarily there to teach us about salvation and stewardship. Is there science in there? Yes. Is it a scientific manuscript? Is it a scientific book? No. Okay? So, but, please don't ever mistake me. It is true, it is accurate, but it is not a scientific document. Now, when people take it as a scientific document, that is where we start to have these camps, these polarizing camps. Okay, the literal six-day creation, that is that polarizes people because they are not willing to take in some of the other evidence. And that is where you start to see this divide between the scientific folks and the religious folks, amongst other topics as well. Now, the Bible, again, not a scientific book, but it is written for all people. And it's not using highly technical jargon because if you write something for a specific audience, okay, it doesn't matter, maybe you're writing something for the physicist or something for the botanists, or something for the biologists, you're going to lose the rest of the audience because you're going to go so far into the weeds that you're going to lose the rest of the people, that your target audience. So in this particular case, is it's written for all people. And it also tries to tackle okay, topics that are incomprehensible to people. Now Isaiah 55, 8, 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your and not are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my, my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now again, the Bible is there to show us the need for a Savior and to guide our steps. It is a tool. So one of the things that we have to think about it is Scripture is there. It talks about, again, huge host of topics. Today we're talking about one very, very small aspect. But you've got things as prophecies, the last days, Antichrist, Christ's second coming. Okay, The Bible would have to be volumes and volumes and volumes larger to be able to hit in-depth all those different topics. So, one of the things that we need to look at is our understanding of Genesis by building on the research that's out there right now. Okay. Does it make sense so far? Does everybody follow me? So, we're going to go back 
to your inner scientist. As a scientist, what I'm encouraging you to do is to engage in a thought process. It's a thought process to take the Bible, okay, our belief in the Bible, okay, our belief in the message of salvation, and use that to help as a basis to help understand creation. And in this particular case, we're going to understand the origins of the universe. So again, my goal today is to make each one of you a scientist before you leave today. First step is to understand kind of where your foundation lies. Now, this is where we're getting a little bit of trouble, too. And so I'm going to throw out a couple pitfalls that people run into. Everybody starts off with a scientific bias. Everyone. doesn't matter if, in what field you're in. And the scientific bias can say, you know, I don't like where this is coming from. I don't want to hear what they're saying. I'm going to shut it down, the information. So you're limiting your data set. Okay, maybe you've got some information. Again, let's take it to the election. I hate to go there, but, you know, a lot of information coming at us. You might not like the source, and so you're going to totally shut it out. Now, I'm going to encourage you to be open-minded. Okay, to, to don't limit your data set. Look at all the information that's coming in. Some people also establish unwavering conclusions prior to reviewing all the data. Let's go back to my kids. Okay, Luke did it. Doesn't matter what I hear, what other information, doesn't matter what Luke presents, my data set is Luke did it, that's it, I'm not going any further. Okay? That's where people get into problems. And people do that all the time when they're doing, when they're comparing something that they're very passionate about. People are passionate about science and religion. And sometimes people will lock themselves in and will not look at the information that's being provided to them. And then even if they do take it in, they're so rigid that they can't accept new data as it becomes available. So maybe they heard something, and, and again, think about uh, some of the early um, geocentrists versus heliocentrists. Okay, so geocentric is that the Earth was the center of the universe. People, people locked in on that. They were not willing to, to look at the additional data that was coming in. We now, now all know that you know, the Earth and the rest of the, the planets revolve around the sun. Okay, those were, but there were people who said, I'm locking in. I'm not going to take this data in because I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And that's where a lot of people get into problems. Again, when they become so rigid that they can't take in additional information. It doesn't matter how unbiased you think someone is. There is still a bias to science. And again, I know that the, the researchers in this room who've tried to publish a manuscript Okay, you might think they've got the you know the best data out there and it's very, very compelling. But they're gonna run up against somebody who for some reason they just don't believe you. And what one of the things we do is we have to recognize our biases and try to work within those frameworks. But please don't take my word for it. <clears throat> St. Augustine, okay, the church fathers, we've got to look to the church fathers. Okay, again, because I'm in a very controversial area here. Okay, and I'm presenting some evidence, some some thoughts up here that, that people might not agree with. So what do the church fathers think? And St. Augustine, um, and I will actually read this verbatim, we read the events of the divine scriptures about hidden things and things most removed from our eyes. It would be possible, saving always the faith which fills us, to formulate various opinions about these matters. Let us then not be too hasty in accepting any such opinion which, where the truth to be sought more carefully, 
might afterwards be found unsound, and lest we might be found in error by attempting to establish what is but one, but our own view to be that of the Scriptures, whereas we ought to wish that the view taken by the Scriptures should become our own. Again, it's expression caution to take information in, process that information, use the scientific method, review that information. Okay, don't just take it. Again, you might have a, a very good source, but you've got to review the information on your own. You've got to be your own scientist. All right, so shifting gears a little bit, okay? Pretty heavy so far, okay? I needed, this is a, a call out to, my wife loves the sound of music. And so, um, you know, so where do we start? Start at the very beginning, because it's a very good place to start. Um, and so, <clears throat> so creation. So one of the questions that we threw out there is, how do we reconcile the Big Bang with the biblical account? Okay, so Big Bang is, again, I'm not a cosmologist, and that's people who study the origin of, of the Earth. But I am a scientist, and, and this is a topic that is actually very, very intriguing to me. It's because, again... You know, you've got to have the creation. Creation's got to start somewhere, and then, and then we follow along. So, um, the Big Bang theory, and I'm going to actually go through it step by step because I didn't really understand it very well. And quite frankly, there's still a lot of parts about the Big Bang that I don't get. But I do believe that the evidence and the theory behind it is actually pointing more and more towards God. And I'm not the only one that thinks that way. But let's see by you know, again, I'm going to put some evidence up there for you today. Test the theory a little bit and see at the end and see whether or not you agree with it. Now, one of the things to keep in mind, okay, very, very interesting, I probably should put this in the back because it kind of takes away the steals of thunder a little bit, is that the theory itself was the brainchild of a very devout Christian. Okay, George, uh, it's Monsignor Georges Lamontre. Okay, so for those of you who don't know the Big Bang Theory, it actually lays back down on two... Theoretical pillars. All right, one is general relativity. Relativity. Okay, um, this is Einstein back in 1916. Okay, what they were trying to do is they were seeing when they were watching solar eclipses, they were actually seeing light bending, and they couldn't explain it using uh, standard Newtonian laws. And so they kind of had to figure out and they said, you know, how does that work? And so what they what they found out was that. Um, using the, the theories of general relativity, they were actually able to, to explain how light bends around the sun through observations. And actually, that's held up. They've been doing more and more scientific research on that, and so that, that theory has actually been holding up. And so one of the things about a good theory in the scientific method is that it will stand up through testing over time. Okay, it's not just going to fall apart. So, so this is one of the basis of um, the Big Bang model. And then you actually get into another one that's called the cosmology principle. Now, the, the assumption there is that the matter in the universe is homogeneous and isotropic when averaged over a large scale. So isotropic, you know, you remember uh, exothermic, isothermic, you know, so same temperatures. And so, again, another one of these theories, a lot of details there. I'm not qualified to get into a lot of the details. Suffice it to say that these are two founding principles, and as they're testing those now, as the scientists are out there testing these theories, that they're actually holding up. So that's the foundation. Now, in terms of just before the Big Bang, and this is where it really starts to get interesting for me, is that 
Look at the first line up there. Okay, and this actually came from, this is not something I pulled out of a book, this is actually from the NASA website. Okay, and, and this one around, turned around from Harvard. And the big question is there, no one really knows where the universe was before the Big Bang. Okay, and so, so again, there is still a lot of unknowns about the origin of the universe, and even before the Big Bang started. <clears throat> so in terms of moving forward, I'm going to have a little bit of a hard time seeing. Can I move this light? Thanks, my boy. I appreciate it. So, okay. So, sorry, I got thrown off there a little bit. In terms of the Big Bang, um, I'm not going to go through a ton of details on the particular Big Bang Theory because there's a lot of other things that I want to get to. But there are multiple steps that scientists have modeled in order to be able to talk about the Big Bang. And most people think about the Big Bang as a giant explosion. Okay, It was more of looking at a very, very rapid expansion of a balloon where you started off and in the first seconds to minutes, okay, the whole universe came into creation. Okay, does that sound familiar? And, but, but scientists now, they've been going back, and, and things that, on the religious side, that we've believed, and we said, in the beginning, God created the earth, they're now going back and tying astrophysics and uh, biophysics and all kinds of relative theories and, and physical theories to tying back and being able to trace what they believe happened from the beginning of the Big Bang. Now, we still don't know what happened at the onset of the Big Bang, but they've been going back to model. And in these particular slides, and, and I know they'll be made available, it starts to show some of the evidence for the Big Bang and what happened in those first minutes. <clears throat> Over time, the universe started to expand, and there became light, according to the Big Bang Theory over the first 300,000 years. And then all of a sudden it went dark again. No one really understands why, but there became light and then it became dark. And then after about a billion years, you get to where we are now. All right, and in this particular, if you were to look at this particular slide, okay, we are, where we are on this particular figure is actually the size of one atom because this is a, a figure that's meant to encapsulate the whole universe, okay, in that it's a one-by-one one image on the computer. Now, <clears throat> I'm sorry, 14 billion years is where we see that. So it took 14 billion years to get to that point. Now, in summary, this particular slide starts from creation of the universe all the way up to 14 billion years to where we are today, following the laws of physics. Okay, they're, they're finding data as they go back and use the different telescopes, and they have space probes out there starting to look at how light bends to be able to answer some of these questions. And this is the theory that they've come up with right now. But the take home here, here is, and again, I did not do this justice. I wanted to spend more time going through each one of these steps. But the key take home that I want to leave you with is that in the beginning, it was created. Now, they're not able to explain where that all started from, how it got created. They are just able, are looking back in time to say, in the beginning, it was created. 
and there was an event that led to the creation of the universe. And that there is order to that. Remember before I said God is a God of order? Science is now developing the tools to be able to help us look back and put order and understanding upon the creation that was already there. The other thing is, is this is a theory. And you need to keep that in mind. Yes, there is evidence out there supporting this theory, but it is, in fact, a theory. But there is a question. Is this the only theory? No. Okay, this is one theory. It tends to be the most popular theory right now, but there are many other theories out there. Now, there are other astrophysicists saying that people need to be aware that there's a range of models that can explain the observation we're seeing. So there's a lot of evidence coming in, and there are other models that can explain that. But again, the preponderance of thought is that's leading towards the Big Bang Theory. Now, one of the things, again, I would encourage you to do is that we need, as Christians, need to be looking at the information that's coming out, looking at the source of the information, and recognizing that cosmology within Christianity is not a dogma. Okay? So what I mean is, the origin of the earth, as long as we believe God created the earth, this really does not change our salvation plan. Okay? We know that, the, we know from the Bible, the Bible is true. The Bible is factual. The Bible is about our salvation, and the Bible is about stewardship. Now, is it possible for the creation scenarios in Genesis to lead one to varying material conclusions, none of which by themselves are of any real importance to the primary purpose of Christianity, again, which is our eternal salvation. So if we go back to the very, very beginning, in Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible tells us very, very specifically that God created the heavens and the earth. It does not tell us how. God managed to create the universe. Even if it did, would we be able to understand? And I think I very clearly showed that I was going to try to walk through about eight slides about the Big Bang Theory, and time just does not allow, even on this, a very, very high level, because there's a lot of complexity here, and just time does not allow. And so I think we have to, again, I'm going to implore you to go out there. I was intrigued. I dug into it, got a little overzealous in trying to present it, Okay, but there's a lot there, a lot there that I'm, as scientists, and again, I hope you're all going to be scientists by the end of today, that you're going to dig into that. Now, there's a phrase out there that's called, out of nothing, ex nihilo, okay? Now, again, when Genesis uh, states, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the beginning is not to be taken simply as a temporal sense, but as signifying God's work in the combined universe, and creator of all things. So, in the beginning, God created. What did God create? And one of the things here is, I'm going to kind of wrap up that down here, is one of the things, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth, as we heard in the opening um, kind of montage, the little slide deck there, that earth was created very, very specially. Okay, because not too hot, not too cold. And as you hear in a second, that's the Goldilocks principle. Now, one of the things is, so it's location, location, location. Is there intelligent life out there? 
And are we here by accident or are we something special? Now, as I know that some of the other speakers will be talking a little bit more, okay, there is, we have a role here on earth, okay, and our role is to be stewards, okay, and are we here by accident? Yeah, I look around this room, there's a lot of incredibly special people out here, okay, and again, I'm not going to have time to present the evidence, but as a scientist, okay, and looking at the intricacies and looking at how biochemistry works, okay, there is nothing random about that. It's in my mind, again, okay, that's my bias, is that we're all uniquely and specially made. But again, don't take my word for it. And why is that a question? Why are so many people questioning their role in the universe these days? And so one, one answer is the principle of mediocrity. Okay, and this came out of, again, I mentioned before, heliocentric versus geocentric. Okay, a lot of information here. Uh, I just broke the cardinal rule of slide deck making. I put too much information on the slides. But again, there's so much things out there that intrigue me about this. Copernicus, okay, thought he was doing a great thing, doing exploration of the universe, okay, of the world around him. And he said, nope, Earth is not the center. Okay, it's the sun is the center. But that led to this whole uh, Copernicus principle, which says that, well, because the Earth is not the center, it's not important. And therefore, people extrapolated from that and said, then people aren't important. And, and you've seen, I think, you know, we all say in society how that is kind of propagated, that there's nothing really special about us. Okay, Carl Sagan, you know, billions and billions and billions. That was one of the things. He was a very strong opponent that said that, you know, there's, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of planets out there that are like Earth. Okay, and so we are really nothing special. And again, I think that that is the kind of thinking that runs directly afoul with religious thinking. Because we are special. God created man. Man is the pinnacle of his creation. Okay, now, you know, we are special in that sense. But people are still spending a lot of time and a lot of money looking for life out there. SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Huge uh, telescopes out there looking for signs um, of life out there. Uh, the, the image on the right-hand side is actually from the White House, talking about some of the Mars rovers and, and the Kepler telescope. And some of the tools that we have out there are actually looking for extraterrestrial life and trying to understand the universe. Um, now, <clears throat> some say it's out there, and some say we just haven't found it yet. So we keep looking. Now, in the Washington Post in, in July of 2015, there's a very, very interesting article that talked about there is that, you know, there's a couple different explanations, and this... Uh, this writer threw out three different explanations of why we haven't found it yet, even though we've invested a lot of time and money. Is one is that uh, we, you know, it's out there. We just haven't heard from them yet. Okay. Um, two, you know, they came, they saw, they conquered. Okay, or they just don't care about us. And then the third potential conclusion is, uh, you know, we are really the only ones here. Okay, we really are special. Um, very, very interesting article, Washington Post. You know, again, you got to think about that interesting read, but they got a bias into that particular article, but they do present evidence. Um, and one of the things I didn't mention, but Stephen Hawking, I don't know if people know this, you know, spending a lot of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars, actually to self-fund research into extraterrestrials out there, okay, in addition to the money the government is spending. Um, so one of, the, one of the big challenges I think that we've seen is, and again, it was in the... In the uh, moving the very beginning, is why is 
why are we not seeing life out on other planets? Is because we live, Earth is in a very, very special place. Um, they call it the Goldilocks zone. Not too hot, not too cold, just right. Okay, and they call it the Goldilocks zone. And there are, you know, we have other galaxies out there. There's other suns out there, okay? There are other sizes, you know, other planets that are similar size. And they've even been able to identify uh, liquid uh, water on, on other planets. And that, those are all keys to life. Yet again, there are, we don't understand, but we still have not yet been able to find extraterrestrial life. And so one of the questions that comes up, and, and this was another article or a manuscript talking about the privileged Earth, okay, about how Earth was uniquely situated to be able to support life. And so, again, a lot of information here, more than I can get into today, but things about plate tectonics, uh, the magnetic field, uh, particularly how, you know, when you have solar flares that interrupt our cell phone service, but we're, we're actually relatively protected because of the magnetic field of the Earth. It's pretty interesting. Um, you know, we have a very special environment that, that you don't see on other planets. There is, um, some of the larger planets actually protect us from asteroids. Um, and if you, you know, so there's some recent evidence for that. And so, again, evidence being presented about Earth being totally unique in the way that it sits, the way that it tilts, the way that it has other planets around it, its magnetic field. But again, don't take it from me. I encourage you to go out there and look. Understand the evidence for Earth being very unique and why we are, and we are unique creatures on that particular planet. Now, one of the, uh, the article, uh, uh, Dr. Gonzalez said, okay, there are other people too, again, bias. People talk about life on other planets. Are they talking about advanced life forms or are they talking about microscopic life forms? Because this article, uh, in this article, he says that if you meet a planet that could support simple microbes, then yes, there are probably quite a few in the Milky Way. If you meet a planet that could support complex animals, then I would say Earth is probably the only one. There's some evidence recently, there's some evidence that came out in terms of an asteroid that they found up in Arctic, uh, the Arctic realms, that they think that they found evidence of, of microbial uh, life. Is that possible? Okay, from a scientific standpoint, again, we've got to be careful not to rule out the data set. There's information coming in there. Is it compelling? Is it true? We don't know, but we, but we have to try to fit that into our model. And so this particular scientist is saying, yeah, it's possible. But again, it's not going to be the type of life that you're going to see here on Earth. Now, uh, this is an, another particular article. This one from Scientific America, supporting some recent discoveries. Okay, that most people think that, you know, again, the proponents of, of scientists and um, thinkers say that, no, there is life out there. Okay, the, the, uh, the Fermi principle is, well, we haven't been able to find it yet, why not? But then there's more evidence saying here, okay, there may, it may not be out there, we may be unique enough. So the take home from all this is, there is a lot of information out there that you folks need to take in and make up your own decisions. So this is uh, one particular author's perspective, okay? And I think the real take-home from this is, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To reach out to a matter is the glory of kings. Okay? This is scripture that 
I think, encourages us to reach that inner scientist within us, to ask the questions, to seek that information out, and then to make our own conclusions. So, let's bring them all home. Last two slots. Okay? Now, whether or not we're looking at astrophysics, we're looking at biology, okay, one of the things that we don't want to do is ever take away from our belief that God created the universe. Because, as I had mentioned before, all these things in my world draw me closer to God, not further away from God. Okay? And I believe, and there's actually a number of stories out there where scientists who were devout atheists. And the more and more and more that they researched, they actually swung to the Christian side because they realized that the evidence was pointing towards a creator. Now then, rather than diminishing our, our belief that God created the universe, such theories and discoveries should bring us closer to the God as we admire the beauty and the plan of his creation. God is a God of order. We'll wrap it up with the words of origin. Now we ourselves speak on these subjects with great fear and caution, discussing and investigating rather than laying down fixed and certain conclusions. We are dealing, as well as we can, with subjects that call for discussion rather than definition. Now again, I showed you start off with some, with some cartoons showing where we had science and religion on opposite poles. Here's an image that I believe you know, we've got science and religion coming together, building upon one, one another. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Any questions?